Welcome to the Unlocking Athletic Potential podcast with Ian and Johnny. Discussing our passions of sport, OCR, running, and fitness to help you perfect your craft. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Unlocking Athletic Potential with myself, Ian Deef, and my co-host, Johnny Tiu. Johnny, how are you doing? Pretty good. Let's get this going. Cool. So the COVID-19 pandemic has seen many restrictions in all countries all over the world, but mainly people have still been able to exercise, albeit alone. And so therefore, one of the exercises that has been accessible to everybody during this time is running. It's easy. You just need a pair of trainers and sports attire, and then you are good to go. Now, we're seeing several people take to running for the first time, but we're seeing those that are already runners clocking more mileage than ever before. So with this in mind, some people are starting to think about possibly moving up to the furthest distance that you can run, which is known as an ultra, which technically is any distance over 50 kilometers. Now, Johnny, I did my first ultra at the end of November. Wow, it was tough. It was the Spartan Ultra in, in Johor Bahru, but you've got a bit of experience running ultras yourself, Johnny, right? For me, yeah. After a bunch of marathoning and doing a bunch of obstacle course races back in the U.S., my first ultra was the North Face 50K over in Vermont. That was a good fun. And I've also tackled ultra adventure races where it's like relay style from Santa Monica to Vegas or like the hood to coast type of races. Then also the Spartan Ultra in uh, Malaysia also. Yeah, the first ever winner of that. When we were thinking about this topic, there was only one person that came to mind that we would have to speak to. So our guest today has been an athlete since she was a schoolgirl and began her endurance sport career over 20 years ago when she entered an Ironman triathlon and did well enough to become the first Singaporean to qualify for the iconic Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. Now, about 10 years ago, she shifted that focus over to the ultra marathon running and has been a pioneer of the sport in Asia, recording a number of firsts. She has run the grueling 330 kilometers Tour de Gion, or TDG as it is known, which is in Italy, the 400 kilometer ultra trail Gobi race, the 168 kilometer UTMB, which is one of the most famous ultra trail races out there, and then an epic coast-to-coast race in Malaysia, which covered 444 kilometers. Bringing a bit more to the present time, she then founded the Red Dot Running Company, RDRC, which she created with the goal of having a focal point for the trail running, ultra running, and triathlon communities in Singapore and around Southeast Asia. Now, for me personally, this is my go-to store in Asia for all things endurance sport, and it's the first port of call for many people in terms of nutrition, information, basically anything for runners, cyclists, triathletes and OCR competitors in Singapore and throughout the region, looking for some expert advice and what they need to tackle anything over the longer distance. So we warmly welcome to the show, Jerry Chua. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us. Hi guys, really, really happy to be on here. We'd like to just kick things off to hear about your journey from discovering triathlons to eventually building up to your first ultra and becoming one of the top recognized endurance racer in Asia. Sure, I'll give you the short version, shall I? You can give us as long or as short as you like. Okay, well, I started actually watching my first triathlon as part of the um, Tiger Balm massage team. It was completely chance occurrence we've been doing sports massage for all sorts of different events i had never ever seen a triathlon before this was about 1994 i believe and so we were engaged as part of the tiger bomb sponsorship they provided a massage team at the end of a race and i was watching this event i had no idea what was going on people had swum and then they were biking and then they were running but it looked like so much fun that was the race that i just said what is this? Tell me where to sign up. I'm on for the next one. And 
it just so happened that the next triathlon on the calendar was a long distance triathlon. So bear in mind, I hadn't a clue at all. Internet was not something that, you know, we had at the tip of our fingertips at the time. So literally just learning to run before I could walk, dive straight into it, borrowed a bike from a friend, made sure that I didn't get too lost and took part in one of Singapore's longest triathlon events uh, as my first event. And that was the ABC Stout Triathlon when alcohol brands could still sponsor sporting events. (laughs) (laughs) That was seriously good fun. It just grew from there. You know, when you get into a community and you get really enthusiastic and find this new passion for something that is really exciting you and igniting a spark. You wake up every day and you think, okay, what's next? So that literally was the start of my journey into endurance sport. When I um, started doing triathlon, it was the smaller events first because my community, my triathlon group then was very, very young. We could hardly get anything in Singapore. Everything you see in the magazines wasn't available here for sure. It turned out that, of course, everyone was talking about Ironman, just like everyone talks about UTMB, as an iconic event to do. And I thought, right, okay, one day I'm going to do that. But as it turns out, I had an opportunity. A friend of mine was going to try and qualify for the Ironman Kona World Championships. And he said, why don't we train together and we can try and qualify together? This was late 1997. So this is four years after your first triathlon? Uh, Yes. So it was a few years after my first triathlon. In between that time, I'd really only done Olympic distance triathlon, actually been part of the Singapore National Olympic triathlon team, I beg pardon. You know, did a few Asia circuits uh, and had a bit of fun with that. But long distance hadn't really crossed my mind. And, you know, you just think one day I'll do it, but I didn't think I was ready quite so soon. But I'm not one to say no normally especially to a challenge and the plan was to qualify in New Zealand because that was the first race of the season in terms of the Ironman qualifiers for Kona so March I believe was the event we went down and this was when it was still in Auckland in St Helier's Bay oh wow so a long time ago and that was my first ever Ironman it was also my first time ever running a marathon distance wow and turned out that I did pretty well. So I won my age group there and qualified for Hawaii. That's awesome. And you were the first Singaporean to qualify for Kona. That's right. Um, as far as I can ascertain, that's correct. Awesome. Previously, there had been previous Singaporean entries into Kona and, and competitors, but they'd all gone via a lottery. Mm-hmm. That was my first race. And um, my second Ironman was then Kona. But uh, by the time I got to Kona, I think, and the friend, oh yes, the, the side note was the friend who was trying to qualify didn't qualify in New Zealand. Oh no. <laughs> but he qualified in Canada, uh, at Canada Ironman, because Canada Ironman's about 10 weeks out from Kona. So not that many people take up the slot right. just because it's so close. Yeah. And they normally, Canada Ironman's, you know, a, a good one to do it in, in its own right as well. Almost a last, last chance saloon yeah, for Canada. It is yeah, the last chance, yeah. literally. <laughs> and so we were locked in to do Kona, got there, and you know, there were a lot of very steep learning curves along the way. I had a full time job 
as a teacher at the time, just started teaching in um, a primary school and I was the soccer coach there. And, you know, there were all sorts of things going on. And, you know, I think you're a teacher, you know what the schedules can be like as well. I do indeed. Yeah, it's a tricky balance, particularly when you're doing <laughs> the longer events because of the amount of training you need to keep in. So, yeah, I do remember waking up at 3 a.m. Wow. for a long bike ride and then going into classes because I had weekend lectures, MSc I was working on at the same time as well. So it was, it was all go. I think those were the days when I had absolutely bucket loads of energy. And at this time, were you still training in Singapore or was it uh, you were residing in somewhere else? No, I was completely in Singapore at this time. Wow. Okay. So we went to Kona and what I didn't realize at the time was I was pretty overtrained and definitely bordering on burnout. And by the time I got to Kona, that was an experience in itself. It was nuts. The weather, the weather wasn't bad, but the headwinds, you know, you hear about these famous Queen K Highway crosswinds and headwinds. Yep. My bike was probably on a 45 degree angle or close to it. Oh, man. Because I was looking at the bike in front of me and I thought, that's not possible. <laughs> and then I realized that I was at the same angle. <laughs> and I had a had a pretty good race until um, the run, actually. And I bonked quite a lot on the run and uh, ended up coming in at about 14 hours plus, which was definitely, you know, not my A race. And ended up on a drip, actually, at the end of the um, Kona Ironman. Wow. So I'm famous for ending up in either hospitals or needing medical attention, usually because I trip over my own feet. But you finished? Definitely finished. Um, learned a lot of lessons. I want to say, yeah, like what, what's one of the major lessons you learned from tackling from your first Ironman to, the one, uh, to your second one in Kona? Right then was learning about overtraining, understanding that I really pushed myself a little bit too much, not knowing how to take a step back at the time. There was so much going on in my life with studies and work and um, training also. And with Ironman, it's really full-time training. It was learning to find a balance. You know, I'm, I used to be all or nothing. I've learned to temper that a little bit since then. So moving from the Kona, Hawaii, did you continue that journey through Ironman for the next few years or...? So after Ironman, I actually moved, after Kona, I actually moved to the UK to continue my studies in exercise and nutrition science. So I did my master's in the UK. During that time, I did a couple more Ironmans. I did Austria, which was my fastest event. That one's pretty awesome. It's a fast course and, uh, you know, the bike course, half of it's uphill and the other half is downhill. Is it the first half uphill and the second half downhill? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's three laps of a hilly course, so okay. Okay. three laps of half up, half down, half up, half down. <laughs> Gives your legs a little bit of a break, actually. Nice. So yeah, that was pretty quick. After that, I think my last Ironman was 2002, possibly, in uh, Langkawi. Didn't do so great there, I really wasn't well trained for it, but you know, in your head you just think, right, there's a race, hop on and get to it. I was really doing them for fun, but while I was in the UK, so in that time from 98 to 2002, I stopped doing quite so many races, still did some shorter events, but studies and then later on work got in the way a little bit, but the main thing was weather. It's a lot different to Singapore. <laughs> It was absolutely freezing. So I didn't I didn't really want to swim or bike so much, to be honest. Yeah, I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty much my last Ironman in 
2002. I remained in the UK, you know, I got a job there, got married as well. Life went on, but I didn't compete quite as much. I took up kite surfing in that time, actually, nice. which was, I think, almost a natural progression because I lived by the coast and I was getting tired of the hard training involved with, you know, triathlon and, of course, the weather. Not that the weather's much better if you're out <laughs> on the sea. <laughs> Jerry, which part of the UK were you in here? Is this the south I was coast? in Cornwall. Cornwall. Oh, okay. Beautiful. Cornwall in the southwest. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. But I went through a period of quite a severe period of depression at the time as well. And so I withdrew from sport quite a little bit. And in nine, uh, 2009, I decided that I had to dig myself out of this hole I'd been living in. I started running with a local running group. So I'd never run with a group before like that. I'd never joined a, a running group as such. And it was a whole new experience. So my first run basically left me pretty much sore and aching and unable to walk for the next two days because I really thought I had to keep up and, you know, <laughs> not show myself up. <laughs> you know, they were, it was the Sinasto Running Club and they were absolutely brilliant. They were so encouraging, such a great welcoming community. And um, they were the ones who introduced me to trail running and ultra running. So that's where the transition started as such. Um, there was a, a small core group that were always talking about long distance runs. And one of them was preparing for something called the Thames Ring. And when I heard how far it was, it's just, I think it was 100 miles at the time. And I just <laughs> couldn't fathom it absolutely couldn't fathom it what was the longest distance you ran at that time before you heard of these 100 mile races that would probably be marathon i mean at the time the mar the only time i ran a marathon distance was part of an ironman gotcha then the only other runs like the longest runs i did were usually maybe a half marathon at most yep. so 20 odd k's but it was just fun and you know getting out on the trail and bouncing around. And that was the difference, I think. In triathlon, usually you're on the road, you're by yourself, but you're thinking about time and speed all, you know, the whole way and pushing yourself constantly. These guys showed me what it was to really enjoy running and be outside on the trail in nature, you know, full multi-sensory experience and not really worrying. I mean, you know from experience that your 10k time is going to be nowhere close to your pb if you're on a trail awesome so your first race i'm guessing was then in the uk your first ultra yes actually well, <laughs> it was my first ultra i remember which one it was so it was the classic quarter it was a 45 mile event and at the time to be honest i had no idea how far 45 miles was in my head it was just like okay let's do it I'd gone in all, you know, bouncing and excited and full of beans. And the classic quarter is basically an event that you start at this amazing coastal path um, location called Lizard. And there's a big lighthouse there and it's literally on the tip of the coast. Um, and it's a trail that leads from the Lizard to Land's End. And this is in Cornwall, in the southwest of England. I actually know these areas well. I, I used to spend a lot of time up Cornwall near Widmouth Bay and then heading Fistral Beach surfing. So I, I, I know these areas fairly well you're talking about. Yeah. I've just done the conversion as well. So it's 72.4 kilometers from miles to, to KM. Just Yeah. <laughs> 
no no worries i had to convert to miles from kilometers when i was in the uk and then had a hard time converting back yeah. <laughs> when i came back but uh, yeah at the time 45 miles didn't seem that bad you know i think i just equated it pretty much to 45 kilometers not the best um way of thinking about things to be honest but it was another massive eye-opener it was absolutely epic we had the most amazing weather to start and you know when the weather is good on the coast it is absolutely amazing of course the field wasn't big i took off like a rabbit bouncing along the trails like that i didn't have a care in the world i had the best time ever until the last 12 miles 12 miles before the end my quads blew up my calves blew up i was walking backwards down the hills and trust me it's very very hilly in those areas <laughs> I was absolutely miserable. Every time you go down a valley and come up the other side, you just think Lands End. I can see Lands End in the distance, and it's not getting any closer. I guess Cramp Fix wasn't around at that time either, was it? No, <laughs> <laughs> no Cramp Fix. And to be honest, then I think I was surviving on. Um, I must have just had like pasties and just random food along the way. <laughs> People were passing me, and I was getting upset with that because I just thought I was doing so well. It was definitely a big learning curve, and that first ultra definitely put me in my place. And so, when you finished it, was it a case of "Oh, thank goodness that's over," or was it like, "Okay, sign me up for the next one"? <laughs> I think before I reached the end, I was already thinking I can totally win this next year. Okay. <laughs> that's a good try right there. <laughs> yeah. first thing don't get lost second thing train harder don't go so hard but yeah you know i was like full of beans at the time as they, they would sit that's what they'd say in cornwall you're full of beans it was so much fun it was just a great day out it was more that than thinking i'm gonna do so amazingly well in this so at the end there, there's always a beer up and a sausage fry up the end of races in Cornwall, the camaraderie in the communities, that was what really clinched it. So you finished and already before you'd gone through that finish line, you were like, okay, I want some more of this, despite the pain, <laughs> despite the fact that there were people passing, you knew that you'd kind of found your calling. Was this a feeling that was you were getting a, a higher sense of happiness from this than you had done from your Ironmans? I'd say compared to Ironmans, I definitely prefer ultras more. This first ultra was... I think what it was, was the solitude also. I spent so long by myself. I think the, the whole race took me just over 12 hours, I believe. And you just managed to spend so much time with yourself and your thoughts. And you can decide whether it's a negative space or positive space that you're going to put yourself in. Whether you go forward or you just think, oh, well, there's no way my legs are going to carry me anymore. I'm just going to give up here. You know, there's plenty of opportunities for both those situations. Bearing in mind that I'd taken up running to get out of my depression, this was a good, definitely a good progression for me. Wow. There's so many races we could talk about. We mentioned several of them in the introduction. I guess I'd like to hear about the race that holds the dearest memories to you, which is the one where if you could only recount one of these ultras, this was the one that Yes, this this was my best ultra experience, which I know is probably very tough because you've done so many of the iconic races, but which is the one that you hold dearest? Wow. You know, I'd say there would be, if I had to choose, there are there are so many. Yeah. But I'll, I'll talk about my first long, my first long race because, you know, your first is always a little bit special, yeah. right? 
I realized after this one, and this is the Tour de Jean in um, Italy, yep. it's 333 Ks and you have to climb about 10 mountains. It's in the foothills of the Monte Rosa, the Mont Blanc, the Grand Paradiso and the Matterhorn. So, Oof. you know, absolutely stunning scenery. This was by far the longest event that I'd ever done. So 200 miles is something that you don't take on lightly. And I have to say that maybe I could have done a little bit more training getting into it. But the experiences, so you are given 150 hours to finish this event. Everything that happened. <laughs> in the, so I took 145 hours oh, wow. or something. I think. Jerry, were you, were you living in Singapore at this time? Yes. Okay. And what, just out of interest, what was the, what was the elevation gain on this? 24,000 meters total. How did you train for that in Singapore? <laughs> I did. I just ran up and down stairs a lot stairs and um Bukatima hill literally you know we're like hamsters here right wow okay we just go up and down wherever we can at the time i had a coach who was also very focused on the mental aspects of things and one of the things that he did for me was to help me with a method of visualization which really made a big difference i think that could have made or broken my race what he got me to do before I started the race was to close my eyes and visualize. Sorry, Matt, I'm giving out all your secrets here. My coach was Matt Coops at the time yep. from Australia. The visualization entailed was to see the full timeline of the race from start to finish. Okay, You see the whole thing as if you're rising up away from your body, your physical body, and just looking down on the timeline of the race from day one to day six, right to the end. And the visualization, he says, so drop yourself into the end and see the finish line. Feel the finish line, envision yourself and feel yourself in your physical body crossing the line. What do you hear? What do you see? What do you feel? I have a great imagination so that wasn't a problem for me and then he said so now what you do is you put all of that in a little bubble and you let it float up above that timeline again and float back to the start now that's your finish bubble and your finish bubble is with you the whole way anytime you feel like you're faltering or you need some additional motivation look at your finish bubble. You've already been there. You've already seen it happening. You know it can be done. That's what I was meant to take with me on my journey. You know, sometimes when it comes to doing things like that, I just think, oh, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, that really made a massive difference. You know, there were some times, and I'm pretty sure there was a lot of heightened sensory awareness because of sleep deprivation and hunger or being out in the elements for so long. But there were definite times when I could just feel myself thinking, there's no way I can go on. And then remembering, no, but I've done this. I've already done this. I know exactly what it's like. I just have to get my body there. You know, I know what's going to happen at the finish line. I'm going to finish strong. It's going to be amazing. People are, you know, going to be cheering and I'm going to be so happy. And it sounds crazy, but that really was a massive tool that 
really helped me get across the finish line. Mental capacity definitely is a major, major empowerment for any of these endurance sports or any sports in general that we do, because we put our body and we train through a lot of it. But the one thing that a lot of people forget to train and forget to make use is that mental capacity and how much they can utilize that to push them way beyond what their body is capable of. And that's a really good reminder for all of us to really take that and utilize that in our ongoing efforts. With that 333 kilometer race, how many times did you have to go into that bubble? I don't know. Okay, so this race, you can only describe it, or I can only describe it by saying it was absolutely epic. There are things that I couldn't even imagine to happen that happened. So I hallucinated like a madman. It was awesome. There were some really crazy things that my brain dreamed up. In my first day, there was also a major accident. I was running, you know, we it was a tough night. This was at 8 p.m. maybe, so we've been going for about 12 hours. We started in the morning. It was hail and snow, uh, not snow, sorry. It was hail and rain and pretty awful winds. And I just finished this hellish climb, got to the top. And all I was thinking of is that, you know, I hope there's shelter up there so I can have a cup of tea or something. And there wasn't. So I just thought, okay, just keep going, right? We're over the crest of it now. Maybe it was the second major climb. And coming down the other side, I was running and just came up towards a man in front of me. And he was in the race, obviously. And I had my headlamp on. So, you know, it's it's pretty obvious where people are. There was no one else around us at the time. And it just to my absolute horror and, and surprise, he literally just turned to the left and took a step off the cliff. What? Yeah. And I was just, it was shocked. Then I was screaming. Then I ran, you know, towards the bit. And he was, he was maybe six or seven feet in front of me. I was just about to pass him, essentially. And he just took a step off the cliff. I, I have no idea why that happened. But what I saw then is when I looked down the side of the cliff, it's just a massive scree field. And he tumbled down maybe... 150 meters or so wow. uh, you could see him down there and the bit that I could see where he slipped was it was a very slippery wet grass slope quite a short grass slope and for some reason I thought you know his his cap and his poles were there caught on a stone just before the edge and I, I went and got the, the poles <laughs> but didn't pick up the cap <laughs> I just thought well he might need them if he's you know sprained his ankle or something uh, it was a bit worse than that. Yeah, so, I mean, panic mode straight away. I ran down. I had to follow the trail because if I had gone the way he'd gone, it was that was, like, straight down, whereas, you know, the trail normally follows a, a little bit of switchback down the, the gentler side of the mountain. Yeah. This was It was dark and it was raining, and everyone pretty much had a pretty awful time, to be honest. The only people I passed were a group of... I think maybe six or seven runners who had their hands on each other's shoulders like a caterpillar trail, you know, either to keep warm and keep on track or keep awake. I don't know. But I did ask for help and two of the runners came with me, one Italian, one Chinese. We went off to the side of the trail to look for this chap who had rolled down. Long story short, he was not in good shape. The two guys who came with me were not dressed for the cooler weather. Uh, you know, it, as long as they kept moving, that was fine. So they opted to go and, and get help. Then the nearest help would be down at the bottom of the mountain. And we tried calling the 
emergency numbers. With Tour de Géant, it's a small race, relatively small race. And at the time when I did it, which was 2013, it was in its, I believe it was in its third iteration or maybe its fourth iteration. So it was still very new and no one really spoke English. So it was Italian, that not being my first language unless I've had a lot of Prosecco. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it was difficult. So I didn't really know what was happening. I knew that I had to stay with the guy and just wait for help to come. You know, and in the end, it took maybe three hours in total for someone to come and for us to make sure that he was going to get some medical attention and be looked after before I could leave. And so by the time I managed to leave and get down to the bottom of the hill to the um, checkpoint, I was in a bit of a state. Even since when you saw him take that step to finding him and also during the whole ordeal, what was, I'm sure there's oh. so many things going through your mind and you're in the middle of a, of a so-called race. Yeah, the race was kind of, I didn't know whether I should continue or or what, you know. I mean, he, it was pretty serious. He had just, he had blood pouring out from a head wound. He couldn't be moved. We wrapped him in emergency blankets and I'd been trying to keep him awake and, you know, just talking to me the whole time. And it was crazy. And so... You know, I got to the checkpoint and I was just, I was completely spaced out. I think the saving grace was that um, a friend of mine had done the TDS from the UTMB series the week before, and he'd come to watch the start of Tour de Géant. He was from the UK, he had a car and he just thought, you know, well, I'll go to the first checkpoint and see how my friends are doing. And so he was there and he was just like, are you okay? You look like you've seen a ghost. And I was just like, I told him what happened. And she said, I, re- I don't know what to do. I just, I'm I'm at a loss for words, honestly. So hot drink, some food. And he just said, well, just keep moving forward. There's nothing you can do for him right now. He's in the best hands possible. This is your race. You can decide if you want to carry on. But, you know, while you're okay, you're mentally still with it and physically you're not injured um why don't you just carry on and see how things go and so i did and um yeah and so (laughs) that's pretty much how i just deal with things now just keep moving forward and see how it all turns out i'll say like for the so for the second half of the race after that like what was going through your mind like was it going to turn to a positive side where you got back to enjoying the scenery or was it still kind of a tough situation in between a bit of both. So the next day, I got news that this runner had passed away. Oh, wow. And and that was pretty devastating because when I last left him, um, we lifted him up and put him in a in a safety tent um, to, you know, protect him from the elements. While the doctors came in with the weather, they couldn't land a helicopter. And so it was literally, you know, doctors hiking up from... The checkpoint below and so it took some time to get him some help but you know to be honest when i look back at it i realized that they were pretty serious injuries at the time and even though he looked like he could move his head etc there's no telling what was happening internally either mentally that was a little bit of a blow um, to know that he passed away but at the same time i thought if that happened to me i'd be dead i wouldn't care <laughs> but i'd also be pretty happy that at least I was out doing something I enjoyed being somewhere I wanted to be rather than you know getting run over by a bus going to work for example 
I think when you deal with a situation like that, you know, we, we are all going to die at one stage in our lives and he's out there doing what he loves. Yeah, I think there's quite clear thinking in, in, in thinking in that way as well. But it also just goes to show as well how dangerous as well as beautiful these events can be. And tackling an ultra is, is almost the end point or the kind of major goal for a lot of runners out there trying to tackle these longer distances. And we've heard your experience. You've been to some of the most prestigious races out there. And I guess this accumulation of all these experiences were very much part of you wanting to go out and, and help people achieving the goal of, of running an ultra. And then those who are already doing ultras these multi-stage races that you have huge experience in. So I guess that moves kind of nicely on to 2016 and you starting Red Dot Running Company. How did that take shape? I was actually just coming back to Singapore. I'd been in Hong Kong for a couple of years on sabbatical, pretty much. I started trail running a lot in Hong Kong. I knew the guys from Gone Running when they started Gone Running at, the, at around the same time. I think they started around 2015. As it's my normal practice not to say no to anything I'm an opportunity to work with tailwind came up so that's where it started so tailwind nutrition is you know one of our favorite products endurance fuels but when I came back to Singapore I just realized that there was a niche in the market that needed you know addressing as well so being in Hong Kong there's trails you know and of course there's quite a lot of specialist sports stores there but when you come back to Singapore we didn't have anything like that the triathlon shops maybe yes you know shops that are dealing with bites but Running per se, you couldn't go into a store and get a customer experience and the kit that you wanted for a sport like ultra running or trail running in particular, mainly because, you know, we don't have any trail, but it was a community that was growing very, very quickly. And because I couldn't get kit that I needed in Singapore, that's kind of where it all started. So I started sourcing some key items and it grew from there because I really wanted to harness this trail community, this feeling of camaraderie that everyone has. We're from so many different walks of life. When you're out on the trail, you'll see that difference. If any of you have done a trail race and met people on the trail, encounters with trail runners are very, very different to encounters with road runners. Road runners are very much focused on timing and speed and you know getting the miles in. Trail runners are pretty chilled. If you need help, they'll stop for an hour and make sure you're okay. And that mindset is just something that I wanted to share and that you know, camaraderie is something that I really wanted to share with the rest of the sporting community in Singapore and Southeast Asia as this sport grew. You get a lot of people coming into the store who are running or attempting to go for an ultra for the first time. You were the person I consulted for my first ultra. In terms of a training background, is this something that you would recommend for people to have ticked off before they think about going for this I know you're very much your mindset is sign up and deal with it later, but... You know, to be honest, I don't think so. An ultra is not just physical, but it's, it's mental as well, right? The strength that you have, you don't necessarily have to have run a half marathon or a marathon in lead up before you sign up for your first ultra, whether it's a 50k or 100k. You know, people make a big deal about oh my goodness, it's a 50k and then I'm going to, I'll never be able to do 100k. I'm aiming for my first 100, aiming for my first miler. It really is all in your head. I would say the main thing is approaching it sensibly. Even if you say, right, it's all or nothing. I'm going to jump both feet in into my first 100 miler without ever having done a marathon. There's not necessarily any issue with that. 
it's just making sure that your body is in a fit state to carry you through that distance and your mind is in a fit state to make sure that your body's okay to get through that distance. That's really what's key. Okay. When you've got those two things in check or moving towards those two things, obviously kit and nutrition, <laughs> pretty important as well. And, and that's why people come to see you at Red Dot. So in terms of footwear, I, I feel for me footwear is, they're all important, yeah. but you have a huge range of footwear from quite minimalist kind of ultra, which allows your toes to really spread to more cushioned shoes it is quite terrain dependent upon what you would choose. Number one, of course, is fit. A lot of the ultra runners are looking at either wider fit or bigger shoes normally because as you run, a lot of people's feet will expand in the heat and with distance. So I always say if you're training for a longer event, time on feet is probably one of the key things that you're looking at during training. If you're not used to being moving, it doesn't have to be running. But if you're not used to being mobile for six hours at a time, for example, you're going to have to try doing that in training. So that's something that you have to train with. And in the long training sessions, this is where you test your kit to see whether they're going to cause you any issues. Because a small thing, you know, say you, you feel a little rub from your hydration pack or your shorts or a hot spot in your shoes, that's going to be exacerbated over the number of hours that you're going to be in this kit. And so you want to preempt any issues like that from the start by making sure you've tested everything. And shoes are probably one of the most important pieces of kit because you're going to be in them the whole time. Depending on terrain, the grip of your shoe is important. The fit of your shoe is important. So just because the shoe looks great and a fast runner is wearing them or one of your running idols has a pair, it's not necessarily suited to you. None of us look the same. So it goes without saying that our feet are very different as well. So it's individual needs that you need to cater for. And we have a wide range and our range in the store is growing by the day, actually. And we've got more road shoes as well, because we realized that, especially in this past pandemic situation, a lot of people are out running, you know, where they've never thought to run before even. So we've been just doing a lot of consultation because the key, especially for a Red Dot running company, is I want to make sure that everyone has the right kit. If I don't stock it, I will tell you where you can get it. Um, and so will my staff. You know, we're not in a position where we want to just sell things for the sake of selling. I wouldn't sell anything that I personally wouldn't use myself. We try and test everything thoroughly so we can offer accurate information and feedback for every customer. Yep, you have the treadmill in store. And going back to one of your points on the <laughs> trail packs, obviously I came in and I borrowed a couple of different packs from you. In the end, I ended up using the naked running vest, which is far and above the best running vest for me personally out of any product that I could try. I love that vest. And for me, it was it was a revolution because I'd always thought you'd either had to have a fixed pack in your front or two water bottles joggling up and down at the front. And Johnny, I know you filmed me during my test race in the Philippines yep. where I did a beast Spartan and then did a trail race back to back to test nutrition in between and so forth. And the fact that you can come into Red Dot and you actually have packs that you can try before you purchase is, is just a huge, huge plus as well. Moving on to do nutrition, the three of us here, I believe are all Tailwind ambassadors. Yep. Yay! Which is a huge plus. And I was with a different company prior to Tailwind. For me, nothing comes close to Tailwind. Jerry, I know you've done a presentation for all of the athletes using Tailwind in, in the region, but why is Tailwind 
such a awesome product compared to the other ones out there in terms of fueling and hydration. Well, in a nutshell, it's all you need while you're doing the activity that you're doing. Very basic nutrition is water, calories and electrolytes. These are the three things that you need while you're exercising, especially if your sessions are more than 90 minutes, two hours and above. What Tailwind is, essentially, is calories and electrolytes. The calories are designed to be easily calculated based on duration. So you can tweak it according to your own personal requirements. And the electrolytes are in proportions to sweat. So that means that when you mix Tailwind with water, the Tailwind mix is very, very easily absorbed or very, very easily dissolved in water. It creates a solution that basically provides you with the three key things that you need for nutrition during activity, water, electrolytes, and calories. And you can dial it up or down based on what you need. So, you know, we're all different. I don't take very much, you know, Johnny, you might take a little bit more. Um, and Ian, as, you know, at a high level of activity, you might need far more calories than any one of us, for example. And so it's very, very easy to use. And I think a lot of people are finding that as well. And the taste is very, very palatable. So, you know, it goes down easy. What I really like is it doesn't gunk up in your bottles. Yep. So you don't end up with black bits after a while. One of the big advantages with Tailwind is there is a huge amount of choice in terms of different flavors from Coca-Cola, which if you like the taste of Coca-Cola, that's just going to absolutely hit the nail exactly. But to flavors that where there is no flavor, there's an unflavored version as well. And that's my go-to. And lemon and orange. Yeah. And everything in between. The mix is just incredible. A couple of shakes and you're good to go. And that's the same with the recovery as well. I found with a lot of other recovery solutions out there, you're kind of shaking for ages and then you get this big horrible splodge <laughs> at the bottom where with Tailwind, it ticks every single box. You've got an incredible taste, three different flavors out there. So again, it can cater towards different tastes. Mix is super easy, but for myself as well, where I am more plant-based, it's vegan, even the chocolate flavor is vegan and it's just the best product for me out there. And I'm guessing, Jerry, is Tailwind your best-selling product within the store? It is actually, yeah. yeah. I think during the circuit breaker period, so when our retail stores have been closed for the last two months, we were actually wondering if anyone would be buying fuel because, you know, it's not something maybe that they'd be thinking about. There's no races, etc. And sales usually spike just before a race because everyone stocks up. We ran a little promotion on Tailwind while we were in lockdown. And um, what we found was the response was incredible. There were so many people who came on board who we'd never seen in our store or, or on our customer list before. And um, I think a lot of people were trying Tailwind out for the first time. And I think that went very well. One of the things that I really like about Tailwind is that we work directly with the, the company in the US. They're a family company. They are athletes themselves. Maggie Goodrell is the athlete and ambassador liaison and she organizes the events for tailwind also and if you don't know who she is she's a u.s-based ultra runner and she won the big's backyard challenge in 60 hours oh wow <laughs> yeah so women are champion of the world absolutely so ultra distances for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think johnny we're definitely gonna have to get tailwind on for for a show as we are okay. we are huge fans and for me yeah. The hydration element was the bit that was the most important factor for me converting from a sprinter to an endurance athlete. I 
really suffered from headaches prior to taking on enough hydration. It was the game changer which stopped me getting migraines and, and really severe headaches during my runs. So if you are experiencing something similar, look at your hydration. And if you're looking at your hydration, Tailwind is the one to go to. I think one thing to note for all the listeners, with the brands that we do talk about, especially with now we're talking about Tailwind, it's not because we're paid by them. It's, the, it's because these are products we actually know, trust, and have tested within our own training experience and through our races. So the only reason why we talk about it is because we really, really, truly believe in this one product, I guess. A couple of the products that you do find in Red Dot Running and, and the shops that I go to, like Gone Running in Hong Kong. And my first initial experience with it was actually about to do an ultra race, be living in Hong Kong for the first year, I didn't know where to go or what exactly products to be utilizing besides the stuff I've been used to in the US, such as noon tablets or basic hydration. So when I did show up to the Gone Running store in Hong Kong, they introduced me to Tailwind. And then the one thing I really, really enjoy going to a store that has customer service and staff that are actually runners and understand the product is that their honest opinion. And I'm sure that's the same thing with Red Dot and Jerry, what you guys push towards in your store, having actual staff that understands the product. They're not just trying to sell you on something. They're just not trying to push items on you. It's actually tested. This is what's going to work. what should work for you. This is how you should use it. And that all those type of recommendations go so far for any type of runner or athlete that wants to build onto their nutrition and having that reliable staff. And so for me, when I first did my ultra race for Spartan race, that was the 50K with 70 obstacles. I didn't know how much nutrition I needed because I normally don't carry anything. So I was with the staff I spoke to, he was like, try this, try the tailwind, put a couple scoops of this. You don't have, to, uh, you can make it super thick if anything, and just drink more water in between. So it'll be a denser compound, but you carry less with you because there is water stops in between and you'll be fine. I was like, get out of here. Like, what do you mean? Like just this, no gels, no nothing, no other food. You'll be fine. I'm like, I think you're bullshitting me. I did. I, call, I tried it on my, on my uh, training runs and then used it during the race. And exactly what he said, like, no issues with fueling, didn't have any issues with my stomach, uh, was not hungry at all. And I think after my race, I told Ian about it. And I think Ian, that's how, that's how we talked about Tailwind. I was like, dude, if you're doing your ultra next year, this is what you need to get. And then yeah. just so happened, it worked out. <laughs> yeah, it was tricky because I was with another company at the time and I really liked their products, but Tailwind was better. And the fact that there was a caffeinated version as well, there's, there's caffeinated flavors as well, was a huge, huge bonus for me. And yeah, I made the switch and it has been no looking back since then. Your store stocks a number of books. Training for the Uphill Athlete is in store with you guys which is one of my favorite books in terms of a training book. But I know you have other books in terms of books to do with ultra running on people's journeys, autobiographies, etc. If you were to recommend one book only for someone out there to take from your store, what, what would be the one book which you would say, yeah, this is our bestseller or this is the one that I enjoyed the most? Actually, we don't have that much stock left of books at the moment, given <laughs> the recent lockdown. So everybody's been buying books. But yes, I'll just a little disclaimer at the start. I got some books in some titles that I really enjoyed and ones that I wanted to read as well. And I just thought I'd get a few more in. Now with Amazon Singapore available, actually, books might be a little more accessible on there rather than on our store but we have a little library also that people are welcome to come and check out some books and take out and on loan i would say at the moment so there's a whole bunch of books that i would recommend but at the moment the last one i read that got me really smiling and you know i thought this is cool it's a running book of sorts it's by intrepid adventurer named anna mcnuff 
It's called the Pants of Perspective. So she embarks on this trans-New Zealand run slash hike. She's got a great attitude and completely hilarious. And the reason why it's called Pants of Perspective is um, she's got this pair of unicorn tights that she takes along with her on her journey. Bear in mind, it's 3,000 kilometers trans-New Zealand. And so she's, she's taken this pair of tights as, as a tool you know, to ground her. So anytime she's, you know, complaining that her knees are hurting and, you know, things are all going wrong and she wants to throw in the towel, the pants of perspective come on to say, actually, you can laugh at yourself and things aren't so bad. She's doing this with the charitable elements as well, or she was doing it with the charitable element. And since then, she's gone on to do some other extremely crazy things. So Anna McNuff, adventurer and complete madcap person, is someone worth following and The Pants of Perspective is um, one of my favourite books at the moment. Definitely, definitely going to check that out. I've got eight weeks summer break coming up and that that will be on the list of many <laughs> books to read. I have a copy. I would love that, Jerry. Thank you so much. I guess the final area I'd like to talk about is this sense of community. Obviously, going back to your story in the UK when you were living in the Southwest, one of the key motivators for you was that sense of community within the trail world. And now within Singapore, you're creating community through various events. And even through this pandemic where it's been trickier to get involved in the events that we would like to, to socially see people, there is a social community online that have been doing virtual events. So for example, you put me in touch with the the company and I ran for Red Dot for the virtual 3K World Championships, which was awesome and added a little bit of speed to my training during a base where I, I probably needed to put a little bit more speed in because I've been doing a lot more longer runs. The other events such as the Be A Mile, the Backyard Ultras, do you want to talk a little bit more about bringing the community together through these events, particularly within Singapore? Yep, absolutely. This has been a long-standing passion of mine to create events that are not about mass so I don't you know we're not looking for 20,000 runners to come and pay their fee and and run their 10k on the route that everyone runs at the same time our events are meant to appeal to both beginners and hardcore runners you know people who are already in the in the scene because I really feel that the way you build communities through interaction so us talking now, for example, I'm learning more about you guys as well, but in a social environment where, say, we have a relay event or we have something like the Backyard Ultra. And for those of you who don't know what a Backyard Ultra is, you can easily find out. But a short version of it is it's a fixed loop of 6.7 kilometers. And you run that loop every hour on the hour until there's only one person left. So maybe not for everyone. <laughs> But being part of the community, uh, when we launched the event and said we're going to have this event in Singapore, a lot of people reached out and said, hey, um, maybe I'm not running, but can I be a part of the crew? And can I help? And this is a crewed event. So you can bring in one or two people who are going to help you there and then. And we find that a lot of people who can't go the distance, for example, not because they physically can't, but they it's just not something that really floats their boat. They get as much of enjoyment out of being there, providing encouragement, making sure their friends and the other runners are getting enough support. And it's not just physical support, it's moral support as well. And um, this is one of the things that I really feel resonates with the runners, this community where 
everyone's helping each other out. It's amazing. We're organizing events, of course, with the current pandemic situation. There's no way of knowing how we're going to go forward with the events that we have on the cards at the moment. So we are planning a 24-hour track race that includes three, six, and 12-hour options for people who are not quite there at the 24-hour challenge yet. We have the Beach Backyard Ultra and we have the Red Dot 24, which is the... um, 24-hour track race and you can see all of them on um, fatbirdevents.com but the the key here we wanted to bear in mind when designing these events was to have entry-level ability also so that means even if you don't feel that you can go the distance say you know 24 hours or 60 hours or however long it takes to um, finish the backyard ultra or a 24-hour track race you know you can run three hours around the track And that's a little bit different. We haven't got trails here, but we've got plenty of tracks and they're all free for everyone to practice on. And this is something that's been a bit of a event that I've been trying to champion for a long time because I think everybody can do it. You know, kids and old people, you can imagine Uncle Lim from Haokang and um, Mr. Tan from Angokyo are going to like go, I'm going to beat you, (laughs) you know. And they can pitch themselves, pit themselves against each other. And I think it's going to be, it'll be awesome, you know. And with the Backyard Ultra, for example, you can take part, run as far as you can, set your own personal challenge. So I want to run for six hours or I want to run for 12 hours. You don't have to carry on till the end, but you can duck out whenever you need. It's about personal achievement and personal empowerment also. And it's not just the personal aspect, it's reaching your goals being supported by your community. Yeah, it's all, all these yeah. events are super accessible. And, and what you're saying about the tracks in Singapore, I believe Singapore has the most tracks per square mile than any other country in the world. There's no excuses. And the fact that they're all free and they're opening up again as we speak this Friday, even though social distancing measures yeah. still need to take place, there are zero excuses and entry levels for everybody, three, six, 12, 24 hours. That's awesome to hear. So this is an Athletic Potential podcast. We want to take from your perspective, what was some defining moments or clear mental gains and benefits that you've gotten throughout your experiences of your triathlon days, your ultra endurance to what you have now? Like, What are something you would recommend to people that you have taken away through your entire journey? One of my key takeaways, and um, a lot of the guys out there who know me will (laughs) will know I say this all the time, is um, pain is French bread. I think that the discomfort that we go through all the time is it's up to you how you want to see it, right? It's like half glass full, half glass empty. It really is about perspective. Everyone should really understand that you are so much stronger than you think you are. When you're out there and everything is stripped bare, you know, you are... 12 hours, 24 hours into a race, you're tired, you're hurting, you're hungry, you have no comforts around you, you know, you've eaten your last Snickers bar. That's when it's you and yourself, right? And the honesty that you have to face is what I really love. It's not always fun, to be honest, but it's very enlightening. I think I would say that it balances me that's why I do ultras it gives me a sense of how I want to move forward and it's the clarity that you know it it simplifies everything to just pretty much are you moving ahead are you moving backwards or are you staying still and if you move backwards you're 
obviously that's a choice. If you stay still, you're not going to make any progress. And if you move forward, who knows what will happen? That is amazing, these guys. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an amazing way to end. Jerry, we could have continued chatting about so many more of your races and so much more about how people can tackle their first ultra, but there's so many awesome nuggets of information there. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. No worries, guys. Really, really happy to be on. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And that, my friends, is Unlocking Athletic Potential. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and taken something away with you to help you perfect your craft.